Today we're going to look at how God builds a nation. Last week we looked at the story of Adam. This week we're going to look at the story of Abraham. Let's do a little review. Someone said, history is his story recorded in the story. And so that's why it was appropriate last week to begin with Genesis 1, verse 1. Genesis just simply means origins or beginnings. In the beginning, God. God is the hero. God is the one who it's all about. God is the upper story. Adam is the lower story. And we still have an upper story and a lower story going on in my life and in your life today. Amen? God's still on the throne. He's still in heaven and we're still down here. What God wants us to get is His perspective. When we can start seeing things from the upper story point of view, we'll learn to trust way down here in our lower story. Today's message really about Abraham is a story of trust. But let's go back to last week. We said that Genesis was written for us, but not to us. Genesis answers four questions. It answers the question of origins. Where did we all come from? We weren't created by some sea monster that came out of the ocean. And what about meaning? Is there a meaning to my life? Do I have a purpose? And if I do have a purpose, is there some morality? Is there some way I'm supposed to live or not live? And then finally a destiny. That's what this book was designed to do. Tell us where we came from, what we're doing here, and where we're going one day when this world is all over. We said last week that God created ex nihilo. That just simply means out of nothing. All the other creation stories written in antiquity by the ancients all started with something that already existed. Our God speaks something out of nothing, just the spoken word. And God created this world especially for us. You know why? To compel us toward Him. When you saw that picture of the, of the galaxy, when you go to Half Dome and you see, or Yosemite and see Half Dome, or you go to Lake Powell and you're laying on top of a houseboat looking up at the stars at night. It, they're so bright, it's like you could reach up and just pluck them out of the sky. That is God's creation, and it's really designed to compel us toward Him. God is trying to reach us. A creation demands a creator. And so what God did was He took this Shapeless mass. We talked about tohu and bohu last week. This emptiness, shapeless mass. God made all the ingredients, like if you're going to make a cake, and then He created the world out of that mass. And then after He created everything, He said, it is good. That just simply means it works. And then we asked the question, why did God put the tree in the middle of the garden knowing that man would sin? Well, to us that doesn't make any sense. To us, we get a little frustrated with God. We say, God, why did you do that? But in the ancient world, the ancients would know that God has a right. A king has a right. If he's sovereign, he has the right to ask of his subjects every single day, who will you serve? Who will you follow? Who will you obey? And so he places that tree 
of life and knowledge of good and evil, two trees, right in the middle of the garden. Not in an out-of-the-way place. Man has to make a choice every single day. And you have to make a choice every single day. Who will I follow? Who will I serve? Who will I obey? Now, some of you might be asking, why did God create man knowing he would rebel? Those of you that are parents understand this. When, when you decided to have a child, you knew ahead of time that that child may grow up and what? Rebel against you. That child may end up in prison, right? Those, were, those odds were out there. It could happen. But you decided to have that child anyway. Why? Because the love moments were worth it. That child also could love you and help you and support you. Our Heavenly Father's the same way. God made us to love us. He just wants us to love Him back. I sometimes ask parents if at the very birth of your child, the doctors would say, technology has come to a point that if we can put this insert into the baby's hypothalamus, it's a little computer chip, it won't hurt the baby, but it will pre-program that baby to always obey you. Whenever you say, take out the trash, no arguments, no fights, the trash is out, make your bed, clean your room, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, and pre-programmed every night before you go to bed to say, I love you, mommy, I love you, daddy. Now, I know it sounds tempting at times, right? But at the end of the day, you would not want that chip placed in that child, right? Why? Because you know in order for love to be real, there's got to be the freedom to choose not to love, right? And now when that child says, I love you, mommy, I love you, daddy, it's the real thing. And God longs for those moments with mankind, with his creation. And he says, I know some will rebel, but those that love me and serve me and obey me, ooh, it's so worth it. That's why he created. And so we said last week, the big idea was this. God creates, it's all good. Man sins, it all falls apart. But God can fix it. That's the story of Genesis 3.15. You, you remember... Man blew it. They ate of the forbidden fruit. They followed the ways of the devil. And God says there's going to be certain consequences here. Man, you're going to work. Woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth and serpent. One day, that seed of woman. There's going to be a baby born someday, and he's going to crush your head. Now, the devil doesn't know who that is. And that begins a story that we might call but God, but God, but God, because the devil has to look at history the same way we do. He's not omniscient. He can't see the future. But he can read the Bible. And he can watch current events. And so he tries to mess up the future as much as he can. Adam falls. He's outside the garden. But he passes his DNA on to who? Two boys, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel and the devil laughs. Their DNA was passed on to their world. And by the time you get to just Genesis chapter 6, you're not very far into the Bible the Bible says the whole world was corrupt. Men and women thought of only evil all the time. It looks like man's going to wipe the whole world out. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth was. 
How it had become. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. But there's that but God again, right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of who? The Lord. God needs a Noah. And so God raises up a Noah. Now, Noah's our best next hope, right? Okay, Adam blew it. Okay, Noah, Noah, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. And Noah, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, he's, he's in that faithful hall of fame, right? It says he built the ark by faith. How do you build an ark by faith? Well, you get out a hammer and a saw and some nails and some gopher wood, and you start putting that thing together. You put one door in it, one window in it, two of every kind of animal. And when God says, hop in, you hop in, he shuts the door, and it rains, and whew, looks like we're off to a great start. Way to go, Noah. But you know how the Noah story ends? They land on Mount Ararat, send out a dove, here comes the olive branch. They now go out on dry land. Noah plants a vineyard. Noah makes wine. And Noah gets drunk and ends up in some sort of debauchery. And we go, well, if Noah can't do it, who can? You know what the point of the Noah story is? Don't look to man for the solution to your problems. You've got to look up. Man cannot save himself. That's why we need a Savior. If you get anything out of that Noah story, you better get that. You can't look to yourself. You can't look to another man. You must look up to God. Now, today's narrative is Abraham. Last week, Adam. This week, Abraham. You say, where did the Israelite nation come from? This is the guy. This is where it all started. Father Abraham, we used to sing the song. And there's an upper story in his life and a lower story in his life, just as we've got an upper and lower story in our lives. But the whole point of the upper and lower story is to move us toward God, to change us, to trust in Him. And, and Mike, you alluded to uh, the stars of the sky, the heaven... Talking about Abraham today, and, and there's our man. I think we got a picture. So Abraham, oh no, back up, back up, back up. Let's go back to that guy right there. So here's this Abraham. Look at all those stars, all right? God says, Abraham, I, I, I want to make a deal with you. Abraham, here's what I want from you. I want you, he has several encounters with God over about a 25-year history of time. And the first encounter is God comes to Father Abraham, Abram, he was called at that time, and says, uh, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father, your mother, your relatives. Why? They're a bunch of, they're a bunch of idol worshipers. I'm number one. Go to a land that I will show you, Canaan's land, and I'll make your name great. I'll bless those that bless you along the way. I'll curse those that curse you. You're going to have a child, and from your seed, all the families of the earth are going to get blessed. Sounds a whole lot like Genesis 3.15, right? The seed of woman's going to do what? Crush the head of the serpent, the devil. So we've got to get this seed line born, but it starts with one. The nation of Israel starts with this one man named Abraham and a son named Isaac. But it's a long way to Canaan's land. And it's a longer way even for him to have that child. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, So Abram obeyed not knowing where he was going. 
Guys, how would you like to explain that to your wives if God came to you and said, hey, you know what? You go to your wife. Hey, God came to me today and he told me we need to move. Oh, really? Where to? Well, I don't know. How long is it going to take? He didn't say. Well, how do we know when we get there? I don't know that either. <laughs> your, your wife's going to have a few questions, right? But she loves you. Sarah loves Abraham. And okay, Abraham, I, if you talk to God and you say it, I'll, where you go, I'll go. I mean, you could probably convince her, but how do you convince the Beacon van line driver who's just loaded up all your stuff and he says, all right, where are we going? Just head out of town, man. You know, it might be a little bit harder, right? But this is, this is a trust, a faith issue. It's a journey that Abraham and Sarah are about to go on. Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. But Abram said... Years have gone by. Abram said, who's Abram? We keep calling him Abraham or Abram. Abram simply means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. He doesn't have any kids yet. He's still Abram. God will later change his name. You know what Sarah means? Actually, before Sarah's name was changed to Sarah, it was Sarai. It means contentious woman. I think... Abraham and Sarai had some headbutting issues at times, especially on this move, I'm sure. She's leaving the comforts of home to go live like a nomad in tents. But you know, when that child comes, she's going to have a whole new name. Sarah means princess. And the Bible will say through Peter in the New Testament that the same faith that was in Abraham was also found in Sarah. I love that woman of God. That's why the Bible says women imitate her faith. She too was a woman of God. Perfect? No. Abraham perfect? No. But did they trust in the end? Absolutely. Everybody has an upper story. Everybody has a lower story. And so Abram comes to God. God, I know you're sovereign, but how can I know that I'm going to gain this possession? Hello up there. You ever do that with God? Uh, I'm not getting any younger, and neither is she. And we weren't even able to have kids when we were young. What's going on up there? And God's saying, well, what's your point, Abe? Didn't I say you'd have a child? Well, yeah. All right, you're going to have a child. But that's not good enough for Abraham. Abraham wants a, a covenant. Abraham, uh, his faith needs time to grow. And here's what I love about God. God is patient with us. And God gives us time to grow even in our mistakes. Can anyone say of Abraham, liar, liar, pants on fire? Do you know that story in the Bible? He put his wife in a compromising situation and lied and said, she's my sister, to save his own neck. He had some fear issues. He had some lying issues. Can anyone say, Hagar? Do you know the story of Hagar? Who was Hagar? She was Sarah's handmaid younger woman. And Abraham says, well, maybe, maybe what God meant when he said, I'm going to have a child, he meant that I'm supposed to have relations with her. And so he does. And they produce a child named Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. But that's not the child that God had in mind at all. Who was the child of promise? Isaac. 
Isaac means laughter. You'd laugh too if you were almost 100 and you had a baby, right? But that's the child. And you know what? Those two brothers, Isaac and Ishmael, fought when they were younger. And guess what? They're still fighting to this day in the Middle East, aren't they? All because Abraham and Sarah did not trust God completely and wanted to help God out. When God makes a promise, He will keep His promise. You don't need to help God out. He does not need your help. Here's what He needs. He needs your trust in Him. Hebrews 6, verse 17. God cannot lie. Abraham, you lied, but I don't lie. If I tell you you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child. If I tell you that kings will come through your seed line, if I tell you that the serpent's going to be destroyed because of your lintage, I want you to trust in me. God cannot lie. And then verse 19 goes on to say, that promise should produce in us a faith that is like an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What do anchors do? Anchors hold us firm in the storms of life. Did Abraham need a big anchor when God came along and he says, Abraham, take that son, that only son, and offer him on an altar to me. Whoa, that's coming. But he needed an anchor to hold him at a time like that. But at the end of the day, he trusted God. You know what our problem is? Some of some people in this world, not only I don't know who our audience is complete. I don't know if you're a believer in God or not. I don't know if you've trusted Jesus or not. But if you haven't, you've got the wrong anchor. And here's what I know about your life. If you don't have God in your life, if you're trusting serving and obeying anything other than God, you've got the wrong anchor. And your life, at best, is unstable. At worst, fear, anxiety, and panic. Why? Trusting in self. Trusting in your bank account. Trusting in your creativity. Trusting in your skills, your looks, your personality to get you by. Wrong anchor. Now, some of you have the right anchor. Some of you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but your anchor just doesn't go down deep enough. Now, that's a big anchor here. I think there's a big anchor here. Do we got a big anchor? That's an anchor, huh? Not a little tiny anchor. I searched for a half hour on the internet to get that picture, all right? <laughs> it's the biggest anchor I could find. Now, that dude right there, that could hold a big ship, in a, a mighty ship in a mighty storm. And that's the kind of anchor God wants us to have in him. He is that kind of an anchor. You're going to go through storms of life. How do I know that? Well, one day Jesus went out on a, on a sea called Galilee, took 12 of his buddies along, and a big storm came up, and they were fearful, and they were in panic, and God said, what are you fearful and panic about? I'm not going to die in a boat, and if you're with me, and we're in the same boat, you're not going to die in this boat. Amen? You never have to fear the storm if Jesus is in your boat. We have an anchor that secures our soul. The problem is, 
For some of us, the anchor doesn't go down deep enough. Not his fault, it's our fault. We're not fully putting the anchor down. We're not fully putting our trust in that anchor. We've got the right anchor. It just doesn't go deep enough. And God has to do a work on our life to get that anchor down deep and secure into our souls. Watch how God deepens Abraham's anchor. In Genesis chapter 15, we've gone for Genesis 12, now Genesis 15, still no child. Abram wants some proof. Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. He's three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. Now watch this. Cut them up in two and arrange the two halves opposite of each other? What? 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 What's going on here, folks? You know what this is all about? Remember I told you that the Bible was written... Uh, was not written for us, but written to us. Um, it was really written for the ancients. Abraham would understand immediately what God was asking him to do. Because that's the way you signed a contract in Abraham's day. That's the way you made a covenant if you lived in Abraham's day. How do we make a covenant? Well, we, we sign on the dotted line. You know, we... Any of you ever bought a house? Let me see if you've ever bought a house. Do you remember signing like a million pieces of paper? Of course. That, that's how we sign a contract. We'll agree to pay this much every month, and you know, here's and you will borrow this much, and here's my word, my signature, here's the money, and that's a contract. A covenant's maybe a bit more than a contract. Look at this lovely couple that's about to get married. Well, they've gotten married, they're signing the old marriage certificate. One day, Jane and I went over to Norwalk Courthouse back, ooh, way back, a long time ago. And we signed a piece of paper stating that I promise to keep myself to you and you alone for as long as we live. A covenant. We will honor this covenant. And we signed our names. Well, what Abraham's doing here, watch this. Next picture. As he God says, take, take a heifer, ram, goat, pigeons, dove, cut them in half. And what you would do is, I agree to do this, you agree to do that, and the two of you walked between these animals. And we said, it's saying really this, may the Lord do to me what we've just done to these animals if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. Jeremiah gives us some insight into that. Look at Jeremiah. The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut into and then walk between its pieces. Handshakes, like we do today, for wimps. You want to make a covenant? <laughs> cut up a goat, man. Cut up a ram. Cut up a bull. Walk between it and say, may the Lord do to me what we just did to that goat, man. If I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. <laughs> it's tough stuff, right? Genesis 15, 12. As the sun was setting. So Abraham does this, okay? 
Abram fell into a deep sleep. Oh, who caused Abram to fall asleep? God, do you see God's hand here? Do you see the upper story? Abraham goes to sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Who's that, guys? That's God Almighty Himself. That is His Shekinah glory passing between those pieces of animals. One on the left, one on the right. It's the same word used. Remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he had to rope off the mountain and said, don't get any closer? Because there was that fire. There was that smoke. His Shekinah glory was there. And you get too close, you could die. And remember, even when Moses came down from the mountain, what was on his face? It glowed. The Shekinah glory was radiating off of Moses' face. That's the same word used right here. And, and, and where's, where's Abraham in all this? But I think he wakes up just in time to see what? This fire pot, this blazing torch going through. Alone. Does God require Abraham to walk through? Yes or no? No. Why not? The same reason he doesn't require us to walk through. He knows we will not keep our part of the bargain. He knows we'll break our covenant. He knows we'll stumble and fumble as we go through life. And we will fall short many times, just like Father Abraham. And so God says, I'll pass through for the both of us. I will not make you pass through. And may it be done unto me if I don't keep my end of the deal, God says. And when you don't keep your end of the deal, I love you so much that I will even suffer the consequences that you deserve. Does anybody see the cross here? I'm going to bless you even if it means I have to die. So the point is, God will keep His covenant even when we don't. But I thought the Lord helps those who help themselves. You know, I used to think that was a quote from the Bible. That's not in the Bible. I, I, I think that's uh, one of the founding fathers, not Jefferson, but maybe Franklin, Benjamin Franklin said that. And I, I grew up in somewhat of a legalistic church that I kind of got a, a subtle understanding that, yeah, God would do his part, but you've got to do your part. Here's the problem with that, folks, is I'm not capable of doing my part. And neither are you. So do you see why we need a Savior? Do you see why we need a God who's willing to go through the pieces 
For the both of us? Doesn't that make sense? That's why there's a cross. That's why there's a God. And in Mark chapter 15, 33, it says, At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Isaiah 53 puts it like this. He was, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, though he had done no violence, nor has any deceit come from his mouth. How could you ever doubt a God like that? A God who is willing to enter into a contract with us, knowing that we would not keep our part. See, our problem is we don't trust God. And that's why we hate ourselves when we sin. That's why we have such low self-esteem all the time. Because we don't think God accepts us. We really don't. And so when we fall short, then we go, oh, oh, oh. I got to do something here. I got to admit, I got, I got, I got to give more. I got to serve more. I got to go to church more. I got to read my Bible more. And it becomes another what form of what legalism. God says, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about me. Legalism will burn you out. You trying to earn your salvation, number one, it's not possible, but number two, it's just going to make you miserable, and in some cases, you just might end up quitting. Why don't you just accept God's love? Why don't you just trust in the God who says, I love you this much? Fast forward. Abraham's now 100 years old. He was 75 years old when he was told to leave Haran. And go to the promised land. 75, 25 years have now gone by. He was ready to retire at 75. He had already hung it all up. And God says, get it all back down and go. I want to use you. Can you wait 25 years for a promise that God has given you? Some of you have quit too soon. Hang in there. God's not finished with you yet. He wasn't finished with Abraham yet. He's now Abraham, and Isaac's born. He's 100 years old. And now that boy begins to grow. Don't you know that Abraham showed that kid off to everyone in the neighborhood, man? Let me just, hey, remember my boy. My name's Abraham, father of many nations. I got one. Here's the start. Here we go. Sarah's so proud, so happy. She laughs every time she calls his name. Isaac means laughter, right? This boy has become the apple of Abraham's eye. What's the first commandment? God's number one. Who's just taken over that position? Isaac. Never let a man, a woman, a child, a thing get in the way between you and God. God has always got to be number one. That's got to be in that order. The apple of his eye. He's so proud. This boy's now about 12, I guess. God comes to him and says, Abraham, yes, Lord. What do you want me to do this time, Lord? I just want you to take your boy, take your son, your only son. By the way, how many children did he have? Ishmael and Isaac. What does God say? That one didn't count. That was you trying to help me out. Take your son, your only son, over here to a little mountain called Moriah, about a three-day journey. You know what that mountain later became called? Calvary. 
Golgotha, the place of a skull where Jesus was offered. Take your son, your only son, to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, did that make any sense at all? You've told me for the last 25 years, I'm going to have a child. I now have a child. I love this child more than anything else. And now you're telling me to sacrifice this child? Wait a second. They did animals. They did, they did human sacrifice back in here, and you told me to leave that place. God's not into human sacrifice. What, what, what's going on? Don't you know civil war's going on in Abraham's mind? But what else has happened in Abraham's mind over that last 25 years? Remember that big anchor? It's now going down deeper and deeper and deeper. God's going to ask you to do some really tough stuff as you go through this journey called life. And if your anchor's not down deep enough, you're going to say no. Abraham's anchor is down really deep. And he gets up early in the morning. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait. He travels a three-day journey to this mountain. He takes his son Isaac up to the top of the mountain. And can you imagine this 12-year-old boy saying, Hey, Dad, here's the, I, I see the altar. Here's the wood. But where's the sacrifice? <clears throat> son, um, that'd be you. I mean, you know something like that had to happen, right? We don't have all the details going on here. But you don't see a boy running away. You, you, you don't see a father chasing a son down. He says, Jehovah Jireh, son, Jehovah Jireh. You know what that means? God will provide. And he raises that knife and as he's about to plunge it down, an angel of the Lord stays his hand. God says, okay, Abraham, now I know. Did God already know? Yeah. Now Abraham knows. Abraham's anchor really goes deep now, doesn't it? Somebody said you've got to have a test to have a testimony. Now you know why Abraham is in Hebrews chapter 11, as the faithful Hall of Fame says. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. He was a godly, faithful man. Perfect? No, just like the rest of us. But he had a trust in God, so much so, and it's almost miraculous, that he could figure this out, living that side of the cross. See, we live this side of the cross. He lived that side of the cross. He figured out somehow in his mind that God could raise the dead. How do I know that? Look at Genesis 22.5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey, why while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and what's the next word? We will come back. Who's the we? Abraham and Isaac. He knew God wasn't going to keep his child. How could he know that? Because for 25 years, he'd been developing a relationship and putting his trust in the anchor the Lord God Almighty. Who's your trust in? Anything other than Jesus Christ is a false anchor. 
It will not keep you secure and stable in the storm. Now, there's no story like this in the ancient world, folks. You will not read another story like this ever. What God requires, He gives. What does He require? 100% perfection from you and from me. Do we qualify? No, we're just like Abraham. We stumble and fumble through life. But he goes to a cross and he says, I forgive you. We should be the happiest people on earth because we know that Jesus said on that same mountain, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Let's bow. Let's pray to the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story. Thank you for this narrative. Last week, the fall. This week, we're seeing faith and how faith pleases you. Open our eyes that we may see you as Jehovah Jireh during our Isaac on the altar moments of life. May our anchor be big and go deep into your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing to the Lord.